you know, you can grow older, but don't grow up. I think it's a very Zen thing, like to be young again when you're old and to be able to appreciate what it's like to have no responsibility for a few minutes or, you know, that it's okay to fall down because you'll be able to get back up. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape for your free audiobook. Welcome back, everyone. We're at episode number seven, lucky number seven. Seems like just yesterday we were on episode six which is coincidentally how many Snapchat friends I now have. So if you heard episode six where I was talking with digital pioneer Jory Desjardins, you know that I was dragging my feet on joining Snapchat, but I'm there now. And it's been fine. I actually sit there while I'm watching mindless TV and try to Snapchat people and just figure the app out. And I had the filters figured out, you know, where you tap your face and you can make the funny rainbows and flower head pieces and all that jazz. And now I can't find them again. So I had it mastered for about 25 minutes and now I can't find them again, but I'll work on it. Pushing ever forward. So what's new and good in your world this week? Get in touch with me and let me know. You can email me, dj at midlifemixtape.com, or find me on the socials at midlifemixtape. And as you're about to hear from my guest today, Pixar story supervisor Scott Morse, getting out and trying something completely different like Snapchat or whatever might be just the thing you need. As a story artist, Scott helps to develop and refine all phases of the story process, including concept writing, plot structure, character development, gags and jokes, dialogue, pacing, and staging. Basically, any Pixar movie you've taken your children or any younger person to see in the last, uh, I don't know, 12 years or so, Scott's probably had a hand in it, literally. So let's dive in and hear what this prolific artist and storyteller has to say. So I am here today with Scott Morris. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hello. I am well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have so many questions for you, and I want to dive right in, but only after we establish the most important thing that we always establish on the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. What was the first concert you ever saw? Wow. My goodness. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself here as a nerd um, and, and really not cultured in the ways of music in my mm-hmm. young years. Um, I think it was probably around 87 or so at the uh, Redwood Amphitheater at Great America in mm-hmm. Santa Clara. And it was Belinda Carlisle. How yeah, is that friend. nerdy? How is that in any way nerdy? Because it, it isn't what you would expect like a kid, I don't know, at least me, mid, mid-80s to go and, and enjoy as Belinda Carlisle as my first concert. But it was pretty. It was pretty amazing, you know, seeing friends from school there and going with a buddy from school, and it was kind of a a, a first, you know, later evening outing, which was kind of fun. How um, old were you? I gosh, it would have been early middle school, probably. So I would guess seventh or eighth grade. Well, I'm just going to make two observations. One is that a lot of us saw our first concerts at some kind of a theme park or county fair or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is that I don't know. A lot of people feel embarrassed about that first one. 
But then they like to talk about the one that they, you know, were really into the the first one that they really looked forward to. So sure. I don't know if you've got one like that or a more or a most memorable concert you want to talk about. If you're I'm, if you feel like Belinda doesn't express you in the way that you'd like to present yourself to the world, it's funny. Belinda probably expresses me more now for various reasons. I think just because of where I'm at in my life, but. Concerts I've really looked forward to and really enjoyed. U2, I've, I've been to see U2 three or four times, and they've always been in nosebleed seats, except for a couple weeks ago for the Joshua Tree Tour. Um, we were right up front, and it was fantastic. And those dudes look old, but they can they can still rock. It was still pretty great. Now, I've, I heard that that concert was fantastic. I heard it was a wonderful performance. I also heard that the experience at the venue was tricky, to say the least, and you had a terrible thing happen to you during the Mumford & Sons. Yeah, apparently set. Mumford & Sons opened. Um, we were you there for that. Yeah, my wife was down there watching it. She enjoyed it. Um, I was in line for a beer the the whole time. Um, I <laughs> left just... her at the beginning of the first song and got back as the last song was ending. And I hear they were they were entertaining. That is um, tragic. Yeah. That is tragic. You two made so up. So you for guys it. <laughs> have you guys taken the boys to? How old are your How old are your sons now? They're eight and twelve. So um, can you imagine the twelve year old going off to a concert on his own? Probably Finn may be on his own, depending on the concert and the, the time of day and who he's seeing and who he's with. He's been to a concert. I want to say Eli has too, but I can't remember if we took him or not. So Scott, part of the reason why I want to talk to you is that this whole podcast is about making the most of midlife and celebrating where we Gen Xers are right now. And so many midlife stories focus on reinvention, right? They're about sure. the accountant who becomes a competitive weightlifter or the school teacher who realizes at age 50 that she was meant to run a beauty school. But I have always thought that gives short shrift to the lucky few among us who picked the right lane in their youth and stuck with it. It also kind of underestimates how hard it is to stay engaged and challenged when you are in a long-term career. And, you know, I look at you and you picked your lane, which is admittedly maybe the most interesting lane on the entire planet <laughs> as an animator. What year did you start working in, anim in animation? I graduated high school and started at CalArts in 92. And I was doing freelance in 93. I started working in 93, had a full-time job in 94 and left school. I'm a dropout. So I, I left two years into film school, but um, I've been working steady since then. You and know, you've been with Pixar since 2005, uh, right? Since 2005, yeah. And I know you started over there as a story animator. You worked on Ratatouille, you worked on WALL-E and, and Brave, and now you're a story supervisor. And most recently, you're a story supervisor for Cars 3, which opens this month. And I'm super psyched to, to see your work on that because I, everything that I've seen that you've worked on is so beautiful. I know you've co-directed some Pixar shorts, but but here's the thing. Even if you work someplace as interesting as Pixar, work is still work. And I love that Seth Godin has this quote where he says, very few people are paid to eat chocolate cake. <laughs> and <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, what what is your recipe for staying engaged and challenged in as your career, you know, you're, I hate to point it out to you, your career is well into its second decade. And you've been at Pixar for a long time. So how do you kind of look at that question of how, what what do I need to do to stay here, to stay engaged, to stay challenged? Well, I think it's it's interesting because I right now we're getting we're preparing to train our interns coming in this year, uh, and I just spoke at Cal State University Long Beach yesterday, um, so I've been loosely teaching a little bit as well. And what I'm finding myself saying to a lot of people is that you know what you're you, you may be preparing to make a short film, you may be you may have an assignment on your plate, you may have a sequence that you're getting ready to to kind of dive into that's part of a bigger movie. You may be on a specific movie at the time. That's one assignment and or one job in a career and. 
you can't kind of hang yourself and, and all of your hopes and dreams and expect that one assignment to define who you are. Um, so I've kind of always, I, I didn't really realize it until I started articulating it this way, but I've always looked at what I do as a storyteller as my career and where I happen to be working at the time is, and what I'm working on at the time is, is a marker on that, on that bigger road uh, of being a storyteller. I think I will probably always be a storyteller, hopefully, you know, recognize as a storyteller that I, something that I do as, as a quote unquote job. Um, whether it's, you know, making books or movies or talking to kids with puppets or whatever it is, I think that's the juice that kind of keeps me going and keeps me inspired and realizing that, that my real job was to not grow up, to be aware <laughs> enough that I'm not supposed to grow up. I'm supposed to recognize wonder and emotion and try to help people recognize that as well with stories. Do you think that gets harder to do or easier to do as you get older? There are stale areas where you kind of can get I don't know, just bogged down with, with what you're working on or what's maybe on the immediate horizon. And you kind of have to just shake it up and make a complete left turn and tell a different kind of story or see a different kind of movie or read a different kind of book or go and do something completely different that can inspire you in a new way. Like I, when I started coaching Little League for the kids, that opened up a whole new way of experiencing what you know, a quote unquote audience experiences and how you interact with people and, and how you participate in a story as you're having a conversation or explaining something new and watching as somebody learns something. And they're all elements of telling a story, but being able to recognize that, that, that inspiration can come from almost anywhere. It can come from looking at your dog, looking at you funny to actively working on a story with Lightning McQueen to being at a concert can always find some sort of little bit of inspiration that's new that kind of has a new angle. And recognizing that is kind of what gets you out of those little funks and helps you remember that this is all part of a bigger journey. Do you ever have trouble forcing yourself to try those new things? Because I think for a lot of people at this age, you do kind of know what, you know, what works for you and it's very comfortable. And, you know, how do you <laughs> sort of force yourself to do something that may give you that kind of creative inspiration, but feels really alien or, or off-putting? So baseball was kind of came out of the necessity of wanting to spend time with the kids and having that be kind of a, a very specifically partitioned amount of time every week that I could go hang out with the kids and, and try something new and watch them learn. And it was something that they asking them, is this something you want to do? It's not for me. Um, it's for you. And do you, would you like me to coach? Would that make you more comfortable? And it, it helped. It, it put me in situations where I had to start learning new things which was great. And I, I learned them in the context of enjoying them with the kids. They weren't just for me. So that's kind of a big thing that's changed for me over the years is I'm including other people as sort of the, uh, the trigger point for how I experience new things. Right. Otherwise, I'm completely lazy and I will not plan a trip. I will not. I'm, I'm the worst person at actually getting off my butt and making something happen um, unless it's in a, in a dark room where I can draw and kind of create a world where I don't have to actually get out of my pajamas. But I'm going to call bullshit on that, Scott. Be and here's why, <laughs> because I was looking at your Twitter feed the other day and your Twitter bio includes the sentence that's one word tired. And I was like, thank God he admits it because aside from the work that I'm sure, and I want to talk more about Cars 3, but just the the work that goes into creating a feature-length movie like that, you're involved with 
Trickster, which is a retail store and gallery in Berkeley that promotes comic book arts. You've written uh-huh. the Magic Pickle series for second and third grade readers. And you guys, you've got to check out Scott's Instagram feed. It's one of my very favorites. It's at Crazy Morse, like Crazy Horse, but with an M, Crazy Morse. <laughs> and it's it's just wonderful. And he does these cool one-page noir drawings that are little tiny, a story and an image. You did a beautiful tribute to Chris Cornell that, you know, maybe we'll talk more about that. But I I think this community feels so sad about what happened to Chris Cornell. And, you know, you've got so much going on. So honestly, don't don't even step to me with the, uh, oh, I'm lazy, because there's you're like the opposite of lazy. But it seems to me, you know, that all that outside activity probably feeds into your storytelling, Jones. I mean, it, it seems like it's expressed in so many different ways. It, you know, it, it does. It's all part of nervous energy, I think. But it's also, I'm becoming aware that I've got, you know, and I think this is just inherent with any, any artist, any storyteller. You're trying to start a conversation with other people and you're looking for an audience kind of at all times and you're looking for validation. And social media has been a really big enabler of this kind of bad habit of waiting around for people to, to, to admire you. <laughs> um, and I, I'm catching myself putting things up and then going back and looking to see who's seen it, seeing who my audience is, seeing who's looking at things. And I don't know how healthy that is. Like before there was social media, you didn't really know who the audience was. You had a sense of it because you'd maybe meet them at a comic convention or people would say they saw the show you worked on or the movie that you're working on. But there was no direct link to a specific person's face a lot of the time. And now almost anything you do can be entertainment if you put it up there under the guise of, Hey, look at this, it's entertainment. Um, so I, I feel bad that a lot of my nervous energy has, has become this sort of cry for people to acknowledge me. But that's, I think that's part of being a storyteller and you kind of have to do that to keep in touch with what audiences are entertained by and what they respond to and emotionally kind of what the pulse of the world is for, for a lot of it. Well, it's and it's human nature in the social media age. I wouldn't beat yourself up over it because it's not like I was checking my podcast downloads 32 seconds before you and I got on them. I mean, in fact, I was laughing yesterday. McSweeney's had a post up that was the Yankee Candle collection for the anxiety age. And one of the one of the scents was spiced endless scrolling. And I'm like, oh. there's my signature scent, spiced endless scrolling. I just want yeah. to see what people are saying. It's but crazy because that's not productive, but it is no. productive in a certain way because it gives you a sense of things, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel, I'm, I'm right there with you. It is productive because then I see people are talking about, you know, the play, the playlist at the Rose Garden when they made the, the Paris Accords Agreement. And it was really funny. And it was something that people who read midlife mixtape totally got involved, you know, engaged with like, what else could we put on that playlist? And so I put the question up on Facebook, and there were some really funny responses. And so it is a way to feel connected and to kind of especially in times of anxiety, even to to connect with each other, but I'm it's not always the best use of our time. I'm It's a double-edged sword. (laughs) Well, it does. I mean, the the nice thing is that it does. It does keep me in a position where I have where I'm constantly honing a craft. I'm constantly mm -hmm. honing uh, different ways of getting bits of a story out there, whether it's a single image or like with you brought up the one-page noir thing. That's just a sketchbook that I carry around. And if I'm sitting around waiting for a plane or at the coffee shop, and it's either draw, read the internet on my phone, or or stare at the wall. A lot of times, I'll I'll start drawing the people around me, and then you just kind of it's, it's an interesting way of looking at how 
your biases uh, contribute stories to things around you and you can kind of implant stories on people. Like most of those lines of dialogue that go along with those drawings um, are just things I'm writing on the spot because I think they're funny mm-hmm. that go with a character type. And and I'm bringing a lot of bias to the people that I'm drawing because I, I, they're not actually saying those lines and I can't even hear their voice or, you know, there's that story more than likely does not exist in their life. But it's kind of fun to cast them in a little clip from a movie as if you're switching channels. Right. And you just happen to stumble on this old noir movie with a crazy old lady sitting at the bus station that is mad at her husband because he won't let her have a drink, you know, or whatever. Right. And you you just make something up on the spot and it kind of keeps you frosty and and gives you, at least that gives me an opportunity to keep honing things, I guess. Right. Well, I I mean, that's what storytellers do. You take a cue and then you blow it out from there, right? Yeah. So beyond the obvious technical evolution of animation tools, not that I'm grounded in them at all, but I'm guessing that since you started in 94, 95 and through today that the technical tools have expanded by leaps and bounds. Do you approach animation any differently now than you did as a 20 something, you know, beyond those beyond those technical differences? The storytelling aspect, I mean, what I do, I'm not actually bringing things to life. I'm bringing the ideas to life that inspire the guys and girls that go and actually move the characters around. So they, they bring a lot of the acting. We kind of plant the seed for what, what will be there with the storyboards. And story story hasn't changed because of the technology. We've gotten faster and more economic because of, of tools that we use. But the the thinking behind how you how you lay out images in a sequential order to kind of puppeteer a, a movie experience, that's that craft has evolved over time. And I think it's evolved even since I've been here at Pixar, how and what we look at and why we look at it. But the, the visual language of what we're doing hasn't changed a lot. So I, I could be doing what I'm doing on paper, and it would still be as effective as far as the content goes. But economically, it might not get into the editing bay as quickly, or it may not translate to the rest of the crew as quickly uh, that the new tools allow us to, to do. When you're working with those younger guys and girls doing, you know, directing them and or giving them the tools that they need to bring the story to life, do you feel like an old man now? I'm just curious. I mean, I- <laughs> totally. I mean, this, I mean, it, I feel like an old man everywhere. I saw um, some clips of me promoting Cars 3 and I don't normally see myself filmed and I looked like an old dude. I was, I was yeah. like, who put the pasty white old guy on there with just the gray hair? Just for you guys hair listening, Scott's wrinkles. not like, an old dude. I'm just ribbing him. He is definitely not. You are, I feel like, like a youngster. The time. I know, but if you like, it, it's funny because a lot of the new hires that we bring in and interns, um, you know, you ask them what their favorite movie is and, or you throw out a list of movies that you think they should have seen just off the cuff that, you know, you'll make a back to the future reference and they have no idea what you're talking about half the time. And then it's like, okay, step one, you got to watch all these movies. <laughs> Or we're not going to be able to communicate. Yeah, we um, need the common language. Yeah, and then the other the other scary thing is they'll come in and you'll kind of ask you'll you'll talk about your you know your first work experiences and then you you turn around on them and say you know what was your first movie experience? And they're like, well, the first movie I saw in a theater was was Toy Story, <laughs> and I had my Woody doll with me. And it's like, how old are you? <laughs> You're doing the same job as me right now. <laughs> yeah, my husband came home. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, all the young guys at work are teasing me because I'm gray. And I'm like, give me names. I'm going in. Yeah, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? I mean, you're, he's in his mid-50s. I'm like, what are you going to do? Put shoe polish in your hair? You're you're the age you are. It's good. I kind of took a cue from uh, another fellow animator. He doesn't work at Pixar. His name's Charlie Bean, who ha- he probably has one of the best names on earth. Um, yeah. He sounds like a cartoon dog. <laughs> um, but he started growing gray at a certain point. And he just owned it. He was like, ah, it's cool. I'm not going to dye it. It just kind of is what it is. And um, 
he's <laughs> the circles he's ha- he's hung in kind of throughout his life is is crazy. Like he knows Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys, and like, it, it makes you think about like. Yeah, I'm just going to own it. I'm of that era. And if these guys are like, that's hip hop, I guess. I, it's just the newly evolved version of it. Well, and, it, you know, con- concert wise, too, you brought up concerts that I looked forward to and loved. I was lucky enough to see the Beastie Boys in the city when they were all still around with McMaster Mike and a couple other guys were with them, uh, Money Mark. And they did, it was, it was called An Evening with the Beastie Boys. And you were supposed to dress up and they were dressed up in suits. What year? This was. Gosh, Danielle and I went and saw them seven or eight years ago, maybe. I mean, it wasn't a long time ago, but they they played a lot of the stuff from like the inside from way out and a lot of the more instrumental songs that were that are more, you know, stuff that if you're not a big Beastie Boys fan, you might not know the know the songs. But then they went and played a lot of the bigger songs as well. And it was just cool to be in that crowd because they were so dapper and like proud of <laughs> their age and who right. they were. And it was like, yeah, I can be like this. I could be cool, too. Thanks for pouring salt in the wound because, you know, I never saw the Beastie Boys and that is my one musical regret, the concert that I will go to my grave wishing that I'd seen because I had plenty of chances. I I lived here seven or eight years ago. I could have gone to a show like that, but for whatever reason, I didn't because you think they're going to be around forever and they're not. The second thing I'm going to point out is about the gray. Our mutual friend, Dawn, who has a beautiful (laughs) head of gray hair, gets approached all the time by younger women who are like, what's that shade? That's what I'm going to have my hairdresser do my do my color. And Dawn's like, oh, it's all natural, baby. So, you know, (laughs) I think we're in a good moment for gray. Yeah. So when you look back over your career and your personal life, what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you? Or do you wish that you could go back and tell yourself? Um. You know, the biggest piece of advice is don't grow up. Um, it's, it's, you know, you can grow older, but don't grow up. I think it's a very Zen thing, like to be young again when you're old and to be able to appreciate what it's like to have no responsibility for a few minutes or, you know, that it's okay to fall down because you'll be able to get back up. Um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to learn from that and to be humble with everybody around you. I think I would... I would try to give myself that break if I could go back and tell myself. And I think that's one thing that I try to tell people when I meet them now and talk with them. You know, give yourself a break. Be allowed to fail. Learn from it. You know, don't ignore it. And don't try to defend yourself too badly. Just look at what you could have done better to get across what you were trying to get across. And remember to, to be open to wonder and be open to emotion and be open to being a kid, you know? So as a storyteller, Scott, what's the story element that you're most excited about with Cars 3? Yeah, there's always we always try to go for that undeniable, undeniably true, authentic human thing. You know, even if they're talking cars, we try to get them to be to be characters, to be human so that you can feel like this is about me to a certain extent. You know, anybody in the audience can be able to relate to it. And I think um, with this one, what I'm excited about is people realizing that they they need to be open to unlikely friendships. They need to be open to to growing and evolving and knowing that the that what you might be considering the end isn't the end there might be a new way of looking at things that um isn't a new beginning but it's a better continuation and that's that's kind of hidden in there and it'll be it'll be interesting to see audiences faces when they come out because i think they're going to light up and feel a lot more connected to this movie than they're expecting to um, it sounds I'm really, to me, I'm really excited about it. You've made a beautiful midlife movie called Cars 3 because isn't I mean that's part <laughs> of it too. It's not over. There's still stuff you can do and you Well, know. I think it tra- I think I think it's not it's not even just a midlife movie. I think it's for everybody. I think mm. it's for, you know, kids can look at it and understand if I love something 
and I, and I want to do this thing and somebody takes it away from me before I'm ready for them to, that isn't okay. I need, I can step up and I can, I can be active in that conversation and try to try to own it. That's a big part of some of the things that happen in the movie. So I think there's things, things in the movie for everyone, whether you're four or 44 or 84. Um, and I think it'll be a good conversation starter. I don't think anything goes over anybody's head, but I think that it'll, a lot of the ideas in the movie might live with the audience, with everybody in the audience afterwards. And they can kind of see themselves in it and be able to talk and hold conversations around the dinner table about it and use it as a template for things that happen at school or at work or in a relationship and, and see a truth in there. I can't wait to see it, Scott. I'm excited for you. It's a big project. Are you working on, are you already working on the next one? Um, I'm, I'm helping out on some other films now that are way out, you know, way down the line. Um, as we always are, we have things planned out for the future, things we're developing and trying to make great. Um, but in the immediate future, I'm going to be working with our, our story interns as they come in the summer. Um, we have six of them that I'm super excited about coming in from different colleges and kind of, uh, helping to bolster their, their first steps as storytellers in the professional world and kind of see where they go. That's so exciting. I mean, it's so wonderful that yeah. you're able to share your share your own experience that way. All right. Well, Scott Morris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I loved hearing about your life in the fast lane as a story supervisor and an animator and above all as a storyteller. So thank you for sharing your sharing your story with us. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. All this right. is so much fun. I'll talk to you soon. You know, after our discussion, I was intrigued about whether Scott and I are the only two people who see social media as such a double-edged sword. So I asked on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page what your experiences are with it. The good news is that Scott and I aren't alone. And the bad news is that lots of you also see the downsides to spiced endless scrolling. So John said that it's helped him keep in touch with his longtime friends who are back east and that he's met a lot of new friends via social media that way. But he says he's also learned from personal experience that social media presents a vicious emotional feedback loop if you let yourself be willingly passive about it. Well said, John. That's so true. Uh, Virginia says, she says, it's such a time suck, plus reading comments on articles is completely infuriating. And she says, I read through negative comments and have to remind myself that not only do I not need to comment and make myself mad, but I can scroll past and move on with my life. And I think that's what it comes down to. You have to remember you have agency over social media and you can control what it does to you. And, you know, there were a couple of people who said it's helped them make social connections more easily. And and Sarah says that social media restores some power to ordinary people. So we'll give the final word to Sangeeta, who said, not better or worse, just different. Just keep reminding yourself, you get to be the boss of your social media. And I guess that is the thing that will make the difference. As for Scott's suggestion to try something radically different, I want to tell you my tale of doing that. Um, if you've read my blog for a little while, you know that I have a very special place in my heart for the Cat Club in San Francisco, which is this nightclub downtown in the on Folsom Street. And in particular, I love the regular 80s dance nights that it has on Thursdays and Saturdays. They have really good DJs. It's great 80s dance music, not the kind of stuff that your kid is hearing at school for decades day. It's really the good stuff that we dance to at clubs. And I also love that it's such an eclectic crowd and super nice people. I mean, if you go to the Cat Club in San Francisco, you will definitely find two of everything including people dressed like Mozart to go out dancing. So over the years, Midlife Mixtape and the Cat Club have done a couple collabs together. For a while, we did an early bird dance party. I called it the I Have to Work Tomorrow Dance Party. And 
Uh, they would de- open the club early for us, and we would dance from 7 till 9. So everybody could go home and go to bed and still get a full eight hours before work started the next day. But last January, they threw down a challenge to me. They wanted me to actually DJ as a guest DJ. Have I ever DJed? I have not. I had zero experience with it. So I would have hesitated, but they said we could make it a fundraiser, and we agreed that we would raise money for Planned Parenthood and an organization here in the East Bay called Beyond Emancipation that helps former foster youth. So that gave me all the courage I needed to actually say yes to being a guest DJ. And I curated my playlist. I was going to have one hour. I spent two months trying to get my playlist right. So I was really very confident in what I'd put together for the playlist. The actual spinning of those of those tunes, I had no idea how I was going to do it, not even until five minutes before the whole thing went down. Luckily, when it was time for my set, I had help in the form of DJ Damon. And if you've ever seen people who say they've gone skydiving and it's tandem skydiving where they're strapped to the instructor, yeah, I was basically strapped to DJ Damon for that hour. And he would say, okay, press this button, move this lever, time to turn up the volume on this side. And he basically just walked me through the whole thing. And it was the fastest hour of my life. I was sweating like crazy. It was pretty nerve wracking because three minutes seems like a long time when you're out on the dance floor. But when you're in the DJ booth, it's a little, it feels kind of panicky. I wasn't very good at it, but I'm really glad I tried it. And we had a lot of fun. And even more important, we raised a lot of money for Planned Parenthood and Beyond Emancipation. So guess what, y'all? They've asked me to do it again. Mark your calendars. If you're in the Bay Area, Saturday, August 12th, I'll be guest DJing again. And this time, we're splitting the proceeds between the Alameda County Food Bank and the San Francisco Marin Food Banks. You guys, food insecurity is real. I am doing some volunteer work this summer with the Alameda County Food Bank to provide lunches to kids in Oakland who would normally get free lunches at school. Over the summer, they're SOL. They don't really have a place to go to get free lunches. So the Alameda County Food Bank is teaming up with local libraries to serve lunches. And I got a chance to go serve lunches the other day. And uh, yeah, it's tough to be a parent who can't provide a meal to your child at lunchtime. So Anyway, come on out on August 12th. A portion of the door proceeds will go to these food banks, and you'll also have a chance to donate more in buckets that we leave on the bar. And then sometimes I pick up the buckets and dance past you during the night. So come on, let's go out and do good while we get our dance on. Mark your calendars. That's it for this week's episode. Join me next time when I talk with happiness expert Dr. Christine Carter about the so-called U-shaped happiness curve that has many of us feel like we're bottoming out in our 40s and 50s. And she'll give us some practical tips on how to start climbing out and how to think about happiness and fulfillment and meaning in midlife. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. I also want to thank everyone who's been leaving reviews, um, especially Awesome Face 303 and Space Invader 2, who are clearly parents who let their children set their Apple IDs up. I cracked up so hard when I saw who was leaving me reviews, because in some cases I know the people and I don't think they knew that their Apple ID was Awesome Face 303. You want to find out what yours is? No better way than leaving a review on the Midlife Mixtape page in Apple Podcasts, so go give it a go. Thanks, you guys. Have a great week, and I will speak to you soon. Don't wanna be this, don't wanna be that, don't wanna give
give up, I wanna give back I wanna be free by whatever means Whatever you want from me, I wanna be, be, be I wanna be, I wanna be free by 